Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top, the body positive, sex positive show with your host Jenny Lynn and Auntie Vice. This show contains explicit language, not suitable for most minors or easily offended majors. It contains opinionated discussion about politics, race, sex, fat folks, gender, which may not be suitable for conservatives. Additionally, some shows may contain references to science, statistics, history, research, mathematics, and reality, which may not be suitable for American evangelicals. Welcome to the first episode of Fat Chicks on Top. I'm your host, Auntie Vice, here in our little studio with my lovely and sexy co-host, Jenny Lynn. I love you. Hi, Auntie Vice. Hello. All. Thank you for checking out our show. So what is Fat Chicks on Top? We are here to destigmatize and demystify the life of fat folks. There is no standard definition for fat on this show. It's for anyone who's had or has had body issues. We don't necessarily champion weight loss, but we don't shy away from talking about it either. And we're here to embrace all the things that fat people are supposed to shy away from. Loving food, having great hot sex, Mm. buying cute clothes, demanding adequate health care, showing a little skin in public, and loving who you are at any size. We have a ton of guests lined up for this series, including one of the stars and producers from Alice in Bondage Land. We've got Wayne King and Cha-Cha Bernadette from the world of uh, burlesque. Rainier Amin, 2017's Miss Full Figured USA, the poet Ike Torres, and comedians Diana Hong, Ungayo Bielam, and Wendy Lewis. We'll be talking about health, fashion, food, sex, and all the awesome things that we love. So, who are your fat chick hosts? Well, I'm Jenny Lynn. I do spoken word poetry and a little pinup work in the Sacramento area. I am a social justice educator, and I'm really happy to be embracing the fact that I love women and I get to hang out with Auntie Vice. That's awesome. I am Auntie Vice. I do lots of things. I write mainly. I have done a little stand-up comedy. I have taken my clothes off on stage. I have shot a little porn. I have passed a few laws (laughs) and written a few things about laws. So yeah, we're here to talk about lots of stuff. I love doing this stuff. I love helping people embrace their authentic self and the beautiful people that they are. And basically, Jenny and I just love shooting the shit we hang out too much it's a problem we're each other's support system so we started fat chicks on top because there just aren't enough people talking about what it means to be bigger and move through the world recent studies show that overweight people have a harder time getting jobs are paid less and are more likely to be misdiagnosed with illnesses or then be missed completely by doctors who can't see the past numbers on the scale and they're more likely to be bullied in school situations most fashion designers stop at size 12 well most americans now are size 16 none of that is okay and that's what we're here to talk about we also care about how weight and body issues vary between queer and straight communities in different racial and cultural groups and between generations so we've lined up guests to talk about all of that i'm also a huge believer in embracing food Mm. when you are bigger be that two pounds over where you think you should be or 200 people tend to shun food There are thousands of diets and pills and other stuff promising perfect abs, a thigh gap, and ending your double chin. And if you just get there, you're supposed to become happy. It's not true. All of us that have had a weight issue, and we all have weights we feel physically great at. And here at Fat Chicks on Top, we want to support you in your journey to feel good. All too often, though, when you are bigger, you are shamed for eating. 
And whether it's being afraid to buy that burger on the, when, when you're out on a date because you think your date will find it gross to watch you enjoy it. Hmm. Or eating before you go to that family cookout. You don't want that look from your mother when you go for the fruit salad. We avoid eating in front of others. Since food is a fundamental form of connection, think family dinners, birthday celebrations, drinks with coworkers, we use food to help us connect. Just because we are not at the weight we want, or we are at a size where others judge us, we shouldn't lose the ability to connect with other people over a meal. So here at Fat Chicks on Top, we have a video segment where we chat with some awesome folks while eating some damn Damn fine food. food. And that's food I cook. Yes. You can check out the link on our site. Check out Fat Chicks on Top over at YouTube for the video segments. Or go subscribe to our Patreon account for other special links and further information. Okay. So enough intro. Let's get into today's show. Today we have a couple of awesome folks from the world of burlesque. Wayne King and Cha-Cha Bernadette. These two are amazing dancers who regularly get on stage and shake what their mama gave them. And they are amazingly sexy, sexy peeps. We'll be talking to them about what it takes to get naked on stage and how it's changed their self-image. Wayne performs with Creme de la Femme and the Rocket Doll Review. He's been featured in the International Queer Burlesque Festival and is outspoken about being big, gay, and sexy as hell on stage. We'll talk to him about what it's like being a man in a female-dominated industry and what it's like being a gay sex symbol without rock hard abs. Now, Cha-Cha Bernadette performs with the Darling Clementines. She's been featured on the Dr. Sketchy Review and she does very sexy numbers. We'll talk to her about being a big burlesque dancer who doesn't keep to the funny side of the show and find out what it takes to embrace her sexy. We're also going to eat cake with her because We love fucking chocolate cake. Now, Renara Min is 2017's Miss Full Figure USA. Renar is the author of Domestically Cursed, a book that chronicles her experience first being abused in a same-sex relationship and later as the abuser. She talks about her path of domestic abuse and how she found the ministry and has become a master coach. Before we bring Wayne on, we wanted to chat for a moment about why we call ourselves fat chicks. Fat has become a pejorative term. People use it as an insult, and there are stereotypes out there about fat people. Others think we're lazy, unmotivated, treat our bodies like trash can. There is a belief that fat folks are fat by choice. The reality is, there's a lot of reason people are fat. Yes, some of us are fat because we really hate anything that resembles exercise, and we live on takeout food. Some of us have medical issues which make it difficult to lose weight, or in fact, weight gain has been a symptom of our illness. Some of us feel naturally better with a few extra pounds on us. And some of us are genetically inclined or have jobs which make maintaining a low body weight very difficult. Whatever the reason, fat isn't inherently bad and it doesn't symbolize laziness or gluttony. We live in a culture that's heavily motivated by shame. We try to shun and shame fat folks into changing their bodies in ways to make other people comfortable. The reality is, we can be lovable at any size, sexy at any size, and healthy at any size. We are here to challenge the perceptions of fat. We also think there needs to be more fat folks in the media. 
The body positive movement is all about loving yourself at any size, but most body positive stuff misses the mark because they don't include all bodies. Disabled folks, people of color, queer folks, heavily tattooed folks, and folks that aren't the pretty version of fat. You know, those with the small waist, but big butts and big tits. You don't see yourself in the media as sexy, powerful, and lovable. It's hard to believe that you are when you look in the mirror. You can tell yourself it over and over, but it helps to have it reflected. We're here to let you know you're great. So, Jenny Lynn, are you ready to bring out our first guest? I'm ready. Let's go. Bring on Wayne. Let's go, King. We're here today with burlesque dancer Wayne King. Wayne is Wayne is joining us via Skype. Thanks for calling in today. You do burlesque. How has the reception been for you as a man in a predominantly female industry? I'm part of a troupe and I love my troupe, but there are these gals in town named the Rocket Doll Review. They're the troupe that has that genderqueer um, performer, Boy Varela, um, that I've not. They are they're a fantastic group of ladies. They uh, they just take everything to an uh, like the top notch. You know, they're super polished. They have rehearsals all the time, um, and they put on like the biggest shows that we have in Indianapolis at this moment. So one thing you know, we had Tata Bernadette on the show, who's also a bigger burlesque performer. And one thing I've noticed from going to a number of burlesque shows is bigger performers tend to aim for the comedic side, and you have a few just flat-out sexy numbers that don't have a ton of comedy in them. Did it take time to work into doing that stuff, or was it just natural for you? I had something, honestly, I still struggle with, and I don't know if it's necessarily because of, like, body. I mean, I'm sure that maybe factors in a little bit, but it's just owning being sexy is a way newer experience for me these days. Like I said, I had been doing burlesque for like four years and it was only shortly before that I felt like I could own myself, you know? So I think getting used to that part of me is hard. I do tend to go comedic just because I like to think I'm funny and people seem to laugh at me and I just want the audience to enjoy themselves, you know? Right. So I've tried different routines where I kind of play with maybe being more sexy than funny and I feel like funny gets better reactions so that's kind of how I lean but I do definitely have acts that are um, just like pure sexy like there's an act I do that's all about the hanky code from the 70s right. like 60s, 70s and that one is just like pure sex and that one I've done a lot so I mean I guess people dig it it's just when I put half-baked ideas out there which sometimes happens you know sometimes we hit a deadline and we're like shit gotta get this together you know um last year and maybe it's terrible to kind of throw like a PTSD joke about it but like we did this uncovered show which was a show based all on covers and I did Because the Night by 10,000 Maniacs I love that song oh nice and and I was kind of going for like a shibari harness kind of look so like that fancy rope tying Ooh, it did not go over well on stage. I mean, like, it's not the audience that reacted well. I just knew that I had messed up multiple, multiple times. So um, I'm like, yep, we're doing that show again this year. I'm like, I can't, I can't do that act. So that was me trying to be sexy, and that just failed. But that was also because I kind of threw that together. That was my own fault. I can't really um, blame anyone else on that. Is there a number you haven't done yet that you really want to do? <laughs> oh my god so for like the past I think the whole entire time that I've been doing burlesque 
every Christmas, every single Christmas, I want to do a Little Drummer Boy act. I want to come out to like the traditional version of Little Drummer Boy and then have it mix into the drumming song by Florence and the Machine. Oh my. So intense and so sexy, I feel like. Um, And like, I want to incorporate it because like the whole thing about the little drummer boy is right. He doesn't have a gift for uh, little baby Jesus, right? And so he's playing the song for him. So like, I kind of want to present it like I'm stripping for Jesus, but I feel like that would go over like maybe not the best as well. I I still want to see that. I kind of want to push that controversial edge a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's definitely an act I've been wanting to do for God knows what. And also to incorporate Total Eclipse of the Heart into some sort of act because that's legitimately my favorite song in the world. It's dramatic. It's campy. Mm -hmm. It's like catchy. It's everything that you want a song to be and more, I feel like. I'm requesting Amy Grant. (laughs) So you've started to embrace your sexy. You've talked about that. If somebody's looking to try and feel better about it like you know you said you wouldn't say everybody should get on stage naked what got you to the point where you're like yeah I am I am rocking this I am a sexy man like what how do you get there I went about it probably a little bit wrong like and I let maybe more outside influences drive me feeling better about myself I never thought I was like out of a scale like a one to ten I never thought I was like a two okay but I would think that maybe I was like a five. Like there's that song by Carrie Hilson called pretty girl rock. I used to joke that, um, my version of that song would be average guy rock. Um, (laughs) But, uh, I think having people just appreciate you and finding the right community, like within the gay community, there is the bear community, like you mentioned earlier. And like, its intentions are good. It's rife with its own problems. There's toxic masculinity and there's too much representation of like basic ass white dudes. And like, sometimes people also think that bear is like, when you see events posted, it's muscular bears that are shown and it's no, we're coming different shapes, sizes, shades, everything. But that was a community that, I started becoming more involved in on like ho hookup apps, you know? (laughs) Um, So that probably helped a little bit. I think just embracing the sexual nature of who I was helped, you know? Um, Just leaning into it as opposed to shying away because it made me uncomfortable. I I guess I just kind of faked it until I made it a little bit. That's beautiful, though. Um, Tell us about your feelings about LaCroix. About LaCroix? Yes. Oh, my God. It's my favorite. Oh, can I swear? Am I allowed to swear? It's my motherfucking most favorite thing in the world. I'm not even kidding you. I'm not currently drinking one because I don't. I didn't have any cold in my fridge, but I have them out too. Um, but, uh, no, it's, it's everything. Like, I have a pin, a LaCroix pin. Uh, I think me and my friend Gwen, when we co-host our show, we're going to get matching LaCroix bathing suits. Nice. Uh, I texted her the other day before I had sex with my husband, and I was like, here, let me find the exact text, because I thought it was funny, and I meant to put it, I meant to say it at her show yesterday, and I forgot to, and I was real disappointed with myself, because I like to, like, again, I think I'm funny, but, you know, um, so the exact text I sent her said, girl, I'm going to crack open a cold LaCroix with the boys and top my husband, (laughs) and then I had another one that was good, because... Um, that that sexual experience didn't go quite the way that I was going to and I sent another one that said ready for some M. Night Shyamalan shit Tim Tops in the end what a twist 
Um, but no, Lacroix is my favorite. I love. There's so many good flavors. I think I like cran raspberry the best. Uh-huh. That's good. And then I tried key lime yesterday for the first time. That was pretty good. And I do not stand for any sort of LaCroix shaming from people. Like, people <laughs> like to tag me in memes and stuff like that. And I ain't fucking having it. I will shut that down immediately. Nice. So if our listeners want to follow you, if they want to find you for a show in July or August, where, mm-hmm. where, where, where do we go? Friend me on Facebook as Wayne King. I used to have a performer page, but I'm pretty sure I deleted it because I didn't update it for like two years and I was like there's no point for this so you can follow me on Facebook to hear my funny what I like to think are funny about pop culture LaCroix and um, friend me on there or follow me on there on Instagram there's Wayne King NDBQ that's my name Uh I'm not on Twitter because I don't get it and I think Twitter is dying anyway these days those are the two major ones again contact with me or you could probably find me on a hoe app somewhere like search Wayne I I mean that's a joke but I mean you you can find me on there I just don't LaCroix boy yeah that should be my that should be my display in my handle you better get that Twitter (laughs) (laughs) and maybe a sponsorship Dipper is coming to our town and I'm so excited about that well thank you so much for being on the show and uh, have an absolute ball this summer and we'll we'll connect soon alright thank you so much thank you for your time guys you too bye 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 Thank you for joining us for Fat Chicks on Top today. I'm here with Renee Amin. She's the Pink Love Specialist. She has four books out on Amazon.com and other sources. She's also 2017's Miss Congeniality for Miss Full Figured USA. Welcome, Renee. Thank you for having me. 2018. 2018. 2018. 2018. <laughs> oh, I'm off the year. I'm off the year. Mine was six. So thanks for being on the show. There's actually a lot that I wanted to talk to you about, and I was so glad we connected about two years ago at a conference, which was very cool. But one of the first reasons I thought about having you on the show is I didn't know about Miss Full Figured USA until I started going through your sites. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. So can you tell me what that is who participates what's the point of it like Miss Full Figured USA was founded by Teresa Randall, who's known um, as Miss Teresa. And she, but it's like, this was the 29th year. They have local or regional pageants like uh, Miss Full Figured USA DMV, Louisiana, New York. But this one was the, it didn't matter where you were from, it was Miss USA. So you had different areas that were represented. Some of the winners from the regional were, you know, they came in. There were three subcategories. So you had Miss Full Figured, which was the curvy. You had Miss Full Figured Plus, which would have been, you know, our fabulous girls. And you had Miss Exquisite, which were the women over 40. And so I would have been Miss Exquisite. <laughs> I would have oh, been Miss Exquisite. Cool. And I didn't wait. But as you said, I won Miss Congeniality. Mm-hmm. And so that was awesome because that was not just, that wasn't the judges. This, these votes came from my sisters, you know, it's a different experience. It still is very pageant. It's still, <laughs> that doesn't leave. It still is very pageant, but it was my first time ever doing anything like that. So it was an experience that 
I will definitely remember because it was something that changed my life. For the people who participate and win, is this for money? Do you guys raise funds? What do the, the title holders and such go on to do once they compete? Well, there is a cash prize in each division. And then there were other awards like uh, Social Media, uh, Rising Star, Swimsuit. So there were other subcategories. If you raised money, you raised money on your own. Trust. Okay. So you, one of the things that caught my attention is you said they have a swimsuit category. Now, as somebody who's bigger myself and over 40, that seems very intimidating. How was it for you? Well, it wasn't mandatory. Okay. That was a, a chosen category, which I chose not to do. But you're able to wear cover-ups. You're able to wear um, whatever type of swimsuit, long as it, it fit in this color scheme. And you also had to have on um, stockings. You couldn't do it. wasn't bare bone. Okay. How did you get so confident in, in who you are? Well, I just tell you just now, you just made my day. I have a tear. I absolutely was not. I think I gained a lot of my weight in my early 20s when I got out of a very abusive relationship. I think I gained maybe about 150 plus pounds. And so I've never quite lost it. Like it's, it's just always been with me. So I had a lot of self-loathing because one of the things that people tend to do, they tend to do that, you know, you're cute, but kind of thing, or you have a cute face or, you know, my my mom, God rest her soul, used to always, when she would see me, she would just tap my belly and go, oh, you're looking a little big around her. And I was just like, mom. So, you know, she didn't mean anything by it. But for people, they don't understand how those little comments can come across a certain kind of way to make you not really love yourself. So the pageant actually was what brought my confidence up. Because made me get into the pageant, I was coming out of a marriage, and I was feeling okay, cool. not quite great about myself. I wasn't feeling, you know, breakups can do that, especially long-term relationships ending. And I wanted to do something to help me build back things that I had lost along the way, or maybe not, never even had. And so even when I hit these roadblocks, because there were a few where... My friends were like, you may want to step away from this pattern. I was like, I have to do it. I mean, I was sleeping on a friend's couch. I didn't have a job. I didn't I didn't have a job. I always kept a job to supplement my business. But I didn't have that. And at the time, I wasn't, you know, my business and, and because I really needed to do some healing. And so I was just like, my life is here I got to do this pageant. If I do nothing else, I have to see what's on the other side of this pageant. So what I was able to walk away with was this self-love and also learning how to do my makeup better. But nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because I, I'm, I identify as an aggressive or, or gender fluid individual. So you're looking at someone who would be very not necessarily ultra feminine who then had to embrace all these feminine aspects of myself that I had kind of moved because of who people thought I needed to be. And so I just started to fall in love with all of that stuff again. And I've lost some people on because they have no idea what I'm doing, who I am or how, but what I do understand is when you, you start to feel good in here, that trumps 
what anybody could think, feel, or or even want from or for you. Yeah, you're, you're so spot on with that. So you bring up that you've been in relationships, and uh, you know you mentioned the the early one in your twenties, and now that your your past marriage, and how that affected your body image. In your experience and from working with people, how do relationships affect people's identities? How does that come into play and in how you see your body? Well, it depends on what happens in the relationship. If you if you were in a relationship and there were issues around sex, if you were in a relationship and there was some type of emotional or mental abuse, even if it was subtle, or or you were in a space where you didn't feel heard or you didn't feel respected, anything that impacts your self-esteem that you continue to internalize and internalize and internalize it'll it'll tear you apart a certain kind of way the next person coming in if there's a next person that comes in will have to deal with all of that bad baggage you now have to deal with all of that baggage and whereas it might be easier for you to begin to process the breakup you'll start to make it all about you. Something's wrong with you. Why didn't they want me? Why didn't I measure up? And so it becomes this slippery slope because when relationships end, it's not good to be with the blame because if we all have things that we sit back in our mind and go, you know, I could have done this different. Or how about I could have left or I could have, you know, I could have spoke up no matter what the ending outcome was. So it it definitely can take a toll on your body. Anything that takes a toll on your self-esteem is going to take a toll on how you see yourself. That could include your body. Oh, yeah, exactly. So you work a lot with people, especially communities of faith around healing. How does somebody start healing from a bad relationship like that? Rule number one, get off of Facebook, Instagram, all of those things. I still struggle with that because sometimes you just want to know. You want to know, even if you don't want to know if they're okay, you want to know if they're not okay. You want to know, are they still hanging with your friends? Are they still hanging with their friends? Is there a new friend? You know, like it begins with beginning to purge the desire to focus on anyone other than you. And when you begin to focus on you, then you can do some of the work, which could be journaling. It could be seeing a therapist or a coach or a clergy person, spending time with people that genuinely love you, that genuinely, not not your friends that's going to want to tell you how wrong you were and how him or her wasn't good for you in the first place. Like you got to block out that conversation because it's easy to get on board with that and then let that become this weird ground for bitterness and hostility and all that to grow. Because at the end of the day, you hating someone and being angry with someone and pausing your life uber focused on someone that's going to do damage to you. It's not going to do damage to them because you'll be sitting at home and they'll be at a party. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you have to, it, it starts and ends with you. Now what I don't recommend and some people, some articles say differently is turning to other vices like mm. drugs and things like that because not because no self-righteous reason because you want to have a shot, have a shot. Right. But the too much alcohol can create this. And now you're back on oh, social yeah. media. 
you're on their phone. Why are you not calling me back? You're texting weird stuff that you sure might not want to do. Or you slipped into this massive depression that alcohol and certain drugs bring you down anyway. It'll prevent you, you know, you'll get stuck in a moment and might not get out of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it can be so easy to even do that with food. That then, of course, creates a cycle because if you're not eating healthy, then you're gaining weight and you're not looking good. And then, you know, you end up feeding that whole destructive behavior. Yes. And, and especially if you're if you know, you're like, I know I'm an emotional eater and I'm a chipper. Like I like chips, potato chips, <laughs> you know, any kind of many a mornings with a hangover from eating junk too late at night. Chocolate, ice cream, yeah, yeah. all of that. So you mentioned the term genderqueer. Not all of our listeners are going to know what that means. Do you want to explain it just a little bit far? Well, for me, it's gender fluid. And it, it just basically means that I, it's hard for me to identify within the normalities of one gender. A lot of times I feel very male. Regardless of what I look like, I feel very male and there may, but there may be some days I feel very female. So I kind of run up and down the scope and, and I've had people say, Oh, that don't mean anything. I sometimes I dress like a boy. Sometimes I dress like a girl. And I try to explain to them that it's deeper than that because it's related to the gender itself. It's not as black and white as it seems. So. It falls in this weird, it falls in that category, um, gender non-conforming. Like you just, you're not within the confines of what people think you should or how they think you should behave. Deeper than I can just put on a men's shirt and feel okay today. Like there's a disconnect, at least for me, there's a disconnect for your body. Like, is there a day I could put these double D's up on the shelf and then I would <laughs> feel more like me? Yeah. Exactly. So when did you start coming out to yourself about being, you know, in the gay community and being gender fluid and all that? When did that kick in for you? Well, I, I've been way out probably since in my late, <laughs> in my late teens, but I have always struggled with where did I belong? Because it, it can cause an issue, especially when you're dating people and they start dating you one way or get in a relationship with you and you look aggressive or you look um, masculine centered or whatever the case may be. And then a year or two in now you're in skirts, you're in heels, you're in, you know. And so for me, probably since the age of 22, 23, I've, you'll have seasons where I'm like this and then seasons where I'm like this and seasons. Where I'm, so it's hard to be able to operate in that because once someone boxes you in, that's the way that it is. So I think maybe about four years ago, I came into the understanding that nothing was wrong with me because I started to feel like something was wrong with me. And because I didn't fit and especially in, in, in communities of color, like you're supposed to fit somewhere. And I love the young generation or the next, these generations that's coming up because they're kind of like kicking that door down and saying, I could be whoever, however I want to be, but older generations, especially people that's around 40 and up, we were supposed to fit a certain kind of way. So I think probably in the past four years, four, about four years, four and a half years, I kind of came to a point where I said, okay, uh, I was talking to a transgender friend of mine and they were talking about gender nonconforming and gender fluidity and being gender queer and all of that. And as they were explaining it, I said, oh, 
that sounds like me. And it, it was, I was able to find my place inside of that. Wow. You are still part of, you know, a community of faith. You still do work in there. And you came out within the realm of also being in a black church and, and black communities of faith. How did that change things for you? How were you received? And how did you go about getting comfortable with yourself in, you know, within a, a structure that is not necessarily very open? to gay women? Well, I came up in the traditional church, Baptist church, but I was long out of church when I finally came to let my family know and and let everyone know about my sexuality. When Now, I'm currently not in church. Okay. I'm currently not in church about maybe it's been almost three years now that I took my collar off. But when I entered ministry, I entered ministry in uh, affirming Okay. A progressive, inclusive denomination. So at the time, there were no, there was no issues with my sexuality because it was accepted. Now there were issues with <laughs> people in the traditional churches um, trying to understand. And I was in when I went to seminary, there were definitely some issues when I started seminary. Other, there were definitely some issues with some people. But I had spent a few years educating myself on you know, some of the biblical principles and things as it applied to me. Cause I don't want to get into a big discussion with people about it. I was armed, if you understand what I'm saying, a little differently. So when people came at me with, well, the Bible says, and you should be doing this and that, I just be like, okay, so do you want to talk about this? Or do you want to debate about this? Cause we can talk about, it. I'm always open to discuss things, but if you want to debate about it, I'm not doing that because I'm clear. Good. Yeah, that, and it, but it did take you a while of your own research and study to get clear on all of that. Oh, absolutely. My, my, like I said, I came up strict Baptist. I went to Christian schools, sung in choirs. My friends were very traditional Christian. Like I had to, because if I didn't, I wouldn't have been comfortable with being myself because I, it, it was indoctrinated, you know, that I was this, abomination and this and this that and the third and so it took it took a long time to undo that and when I was licensed time my mom did come which was like <laughs> like Jesus coming you know <laughs> and so it has definitely been a reason why I took some time off I take time off when when I get slammed a certain kind of way because if I'm angry and I was very angry when I left ministry I just I couldn't function the way that I would have wanted to plus my own spirituality was evolving so here I was I just graduated my master's in religious education I was starting my doctorate and now I was out of the church and so I'm just like word Just how this is going to go down. And and so it, it was a lot of unpacking. It was a lot of allowing myself to be angry. And I think it took me probably until maybe about six months ago to kind of get to a place where you could actually say to me, can you pray for me? And I wouldn't be like, I don't think that's the best idea. You know, <laughs> <laughs> do you bring up being angry? And it's it's something that's, you know, always I always wonder how people struggle with it because you have the stereotype of the angry black lady. And in U.S. society, you're not supposed to be that. And I know a lot of women who fight against that. How do you allow yourself space to say, no, my anger is legit? 
And I need to work through this. I'm a Virgo. <laughs> I'm a Virgo. I don't know how not to allow myself to, to be who I need to be. I think I used to be on drugs and I'm talking about cocaine crack kind of drugs. A lot of that came from hurt from not being able to speak about things I need to speak to about or things I had never dealt with or emotions, residue emotions from some things. So now, now I'm better because I'm older. I've learned how to be diplomatic when <laughs> I get, but um, I pretty much, I can get rather passionate about something. So I just allow myself to be, I don't, I don't, I don't place it with color because I feel like everybody gets angry. Whether they watch it or not, whether they know what to do with it when it happens. So I don't attach it to color. But what I do try not to do is to have public reactions. Because once people place you in a category, you're going to either do one of two things. It's either going to make or break. And for the person that's the pink love specialist, Or, or at, for some people, I was Minister Renee or I was the life culture. I just learned that everything is not for me to expose to the world. Some things I just keep to myself, but I just allow myself to feel because that's human. That's not color based. And so when people say, Oh, you're being an angry black woman or you're being, and I've, and I've heard it. And I'm just like, no, I'm being an angry human being about some dumb shit. Excuse me, but <laughs> no, and anger is legit. Like we try to put a cap on it for everybody and don't be mad and control yourself. Some anger is completely legitimate and you've got to deal with it. Yeah. So some things are stuff and some things are shit. And so I <laughs> what they are and, and I just, I'm getting too old to allow someone to tell me how to express myself. Speaking of getting older, how have the 40s changed you? Oh, man, when I was turning 40, like before my 40th birthday, all my friends were like excited and they were like, oh, we got to have a party. I cried for like three months. I had this massive meltdown about the state of my life and what I hadn't accomplished yet and what's left for me to accomplish. And my mother had transitioned that year. Like transitioned in April of that of, of 2014, and so I think I was turning 39 that year. But whatever the case, right before the 40s, I had this epiphany: like, what am I going to do with my life? So I think what changed for me was this: I didn't care about what other people were saying and doing as much as I did before then. Like I was very self-conscious. I was very concerned. I was very quite a few other things. And when you cross 40, you're just like, I don't have time for that. So some of the things that you would have given a little bit more attention to, a little bit more time to. Well, we're going to wrap this up. If people want to contact you, if they want to find one of your workshops, if they want to find out more about your work, what's the best way to reach you? I'm on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook. I have a a business profile on Facebook. I do not have a private page. R-E-N-A-I-R-A-M-I-N everywhere on social media. If you're looking for my website, you can look at uh, the the pinklovespecialist.com. 
And if you want to email me, just read me. I'm in at Gmail. Excellent. Yeah, I'm real basic. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it easy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for your work. And we will have links to your books, to your sites, up on our site so people can find you. And good luck with you. You have a number of conferences and stuff this summer, so good luck with them. Thank you. And, and if I can just leave with anyone that's in the New York City area in July of 2018, I am giving a town hall discussion on healing faith trauma in communities of color, the state of the LGBTQ believer. It's part of my doctoral dissertation. I'm just asking people to come out and be a part and be some, you know, just share their voices so we can look at ways to heal our community. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored. I feel like this is great. So I so appreciate it. Cha-Cha, thanks for joining us on Because We Got High. You have been performing burlesque for more than a decade. What inspired you to start your troupe? Well, I have had two different troops in my illustrious career. And the first one uh, was about making friends, finding a way to tap into my own erotic creature, kind of learn how to be more sensual and sexy. I was very uncomfortable with my body. I didn't even hug people, especially boys. So I wanted to... Especially, <laughs> especially those awful boys. So I definitely wanted to... Um, you know, use my first troop as that. And then my second troop here in Sacramento has been about building community, changing the entertainment landscape for Sacramento and making us making Sacramento a place that people want to be. So you do burlesque. Is it political? Is it just fun? Like, how do you get up and get inspired to shake everything on stage? Well, I think we love to dance. I think that we forget that burlesque in itself and what we do at our variety show can be very empowering, can be very political, but it also can be that we are a group of women and men that just want to entertain. I think as a big woman, I'm always, something has to be about my size or something like that, but it also, after a while, after almost 12 years of this, like it also is just as much about me as it is about my audience and being a quality entertainer and being seen as a quality entertainer, not because in spite of my size, but because of it. That's beautiful. I love seeing how you've taken burlesque into the daylight at art mix and things like that. Can you talk about some of the stuff you do with Crocker? Oh, I love that day drag look. Um, (laughs) My eyebrows just... I fully appreciate our collaboration with Stephanie Longoria and Crocker Art Museum with the Art Mix because she is bringing us into a realm of audience members and patrons that we would never have. And it is showing the world, our community and us that this whole burlesque thing and the circus thing, it's, it's not just a fad. It's not just a 
thing for fat girls with tattoos to do. It's not, you know, it's actually, it is art. And since the very beginning, we have called ourselves performance artists more than we call ourselves burlesque dancers. Are you comfortable getting approached when people recognize you? Yeah, actually, I got approached. <laughs> I got approached. <laughs> I got approached two days ago at Walmart from a girl who was working at the Vision Center who apparently um, is one of our audience members, regulars, and she cleaned my glasses and changed out my screws and my glasses for like brand new. So you got screwed for free. I got screwed for free. I love burlesque. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's just big pimping every day. I love that. (laughs) So uh, my, my daughter's teacher, substitute teacher recognized me the other day. And I was all, ah, why'd you have to make it weird? It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. I'm like, dude, really? Just hang out with my six-year-old, like, color. (laughs) Um, The fact that my art does have so much to do with nudity, and it's not just nudity of my body and my physicality. As an MC and a comedian, I'm up there being extra vulnerable and there is a nakedness to who I am and who I am on that microphone is very much who I am. And that's the voice I've mute in order to be a normie in the muggle world. (laughs) And then I go on the stage and I say what I really want to say, you know. Something we like to ask everybody is a whole list of because I got high questions. What was the, the worst advice you've ever been given? I had an interaction with a old Russian professor who introduced me to the volcano vape bags for the first time. Um, (laughs) He made this like salad full of different weed. I don't even know what strands, you know, this is in New Mexico. So it's probably from Mexico. He fills up this vape bag and he tells me, well, I said, "Do, do I breathe it in? What do I do? And he goes, you suck the whole bag. (laughs) Okay, so I sit there and I just take like this big inhale and I have no idea like what the strength or potency of any of this is. I immediately threw up. I immediately got dizzy. I went into the bathroom. Who doesn't have towels (laughs) or washcloths or any kind of cleaner in their bathroom? Apparently. That's just, I'm just going to preface with that. I got sick and I had no way to clean it. And I was literally putting water on my hands and just Uh having to, Mm -hmm. it was the worst. It was one of the worst experiences. I was so high out of my life. I was thinking I might need to go to the hospital. I somehow drove myself home. (laughs) Oh shit! Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Kids don't drive. (laughs) Buzz driving is drunk driving. driving. (laughs) Don't dab and drive. So, I do feel like that probably is the worst, worst experience. And what's your go-to munchie? Mexican fruit, street food, you know, with the, with the Japanese peanuts and the, we, I put chamoy and pineapple and Mexican fruit. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very Mexican like that. What's something you're thankful for? My darling Clementines and the people that, follow me and take my lead and trust me with their dreams because that's what this is. And that's what we're doing. We all are very passionate performers and the fact that they continue to follow and 
trust in the direction that I take our show um, is incredibly powerful and yeah, encourages me every day. And what's the one thing every person should get to try in a lifetime? Take your clothes off in public, please try it. Take a class, do a student showcase, call me up. Skype some friends. <laughs> Get naked in public. It's a sex crime. Go to jail. No, you, you, you really want, I, I really encourage people. That's one way to become very vulnerable and just vulnerability in general, I think is a very powerful thing that we should all do a little bit more work to embrace. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're awesome. It's great seeing you. Thank you so much. This has been a Fat Chicks on Top production with your hosts, Auntie Vice and Jenilyn. Thank you to our sound engineer, Sharon Smith, and David Manga for our awesome music. For all things Fat Chicks, we're on every social media platform. For full interviews and explicit content, please subscribe to our Patreon.